Well, good morning. How you guys doing? Good, good. Uh, it's good to see you guys. I was uh, reflecting with uh, Derek back there just uh, how much it feels like the earlier like church plant days uh, during the holidays here, just because of how light we are. Uh, on attendance, although I remember during the church plant days, there would be like six of us uh, over these holidays. So, uh, But thank you guys for being here this morning. We are so glad to be able to uh, worship God with you this morning. Um, all right, let's get this out of the way, right? Three days left in 2019. How's everybody feeling? That was kind of, okay. okay. Yeah, I saw, I mean, right, everything's done in memes nowadays, and I saw uh, a meme yesterday that was just like a, a dumpster on fire, and it said underneath of it, 2019, what was that? And, and so, so maybe you're feeling like that this morning, I don't know, <laughs> right, but I always love um, this like week before uh, a new year, because I always... I, I kind of tend to be like somebody that observes people and kind of watches them. So like my friends and those around me, I always like that time leading up to a new year, you, people are always super hopeful, right? Heading into a new year. It's like, oh, okay, it's going to be new. It's going to be different this year. Uh, and so, you know, so here, here's the question. How many of you guys here this morning have a resolution ready for 2020? Okay, like six of you. Okay which is not great considering how small our crowd is this morning, right? Uh, and, and I tend to not do resolutions either, but I actually do have one this year, and my resolution is um, to read more. And I actually read a lot, but, it, but my resolution is to read more uh, with others. And so if you have a resolution that is uh, centered around reading more and you want to read with me, feel free to let me know. Uh, I'm going to probably post online the books I'm going to be reading this year and the plan that I'm going to work through. So if you want to work through that with me. I would love to do that because one of the things I've found is that I tend to read a book and then not re ever reflect on it or do anything with it. And it kind of ends up just being a waste of my time and everyone else's. Uh, so, so um, but I find New Year's resolutions just in general to be fascinating. Um, and, and so I, I did some research on back uh, on on resolutions. Uh, I don't. This website seemed legit to me, but it was called Statistic Brain. And so you know, how could they be wrong, right? Statistic and brain in the same sentence, right? No one's going to lie about anything. But anyway, they they posted an article with some research that they had done on resolutions and and what resolutions look like and and, and what happens. And they said that the top three resolutions that Americans tend to make heading into a new year are to lose weight, to, uh, to get organized, or to spend less and save more. It's centered around one of those three things. And they said that out of the top 15 resolutions, uh, 11 of them tend to be centered around personal or self-actualizing work. So, so if Typically, if you're going to do a resolution, you're going to do something that's going to help you feel better about yourself, be better, whatever it may be. And so most of us, if we have a resolution, it's centered around, hey, I want to do this for me in the coming year. So whatever issue I, I view as being deficient in my life or whatever's going on in my life, I want this to be better entering into a new year. And what was interesting is they put in this article that I read that 45% of Americans actually make a New Year's resolution, which I thought was super high because most of the crowds I roll around with are like, dude, I ain't doing that. Like, I, I already know I'm not going to pass it. It's not going to happen. But they actually say that 45% of Americans end up having a resolution. But of those 45%, only 8% of them actually are successful long-term. So if you think, you know, there's roughly 300 million Americans, so t t take that number down to about 120. 
125 million of those make a resolution, 8% of that 125 million end up being successful long-term with those resolutions. And as a matter of fact, about 30% of Americans that set resolutions are done in two weeks. Like they've already broken it. And that by six months, over 50% of them have already failed and like have given up. And, and doesn't really instill a ton of confidence, does it? You know, as you, as you're, if you're sitting here like, oh man, like Kevin's got me thinking maybe I should have a resolution, you're gonna probably fail <laughs> is what the research shows. That the research shows that you are, are likely going to fail. And psychology is split on why this is the case. Um, mainly because resolutions attempt to break bad habits. And uh, psychologically, habits are difficult to break. There's a reason why they call it a habit. Uh, and that success is often dependent upon realistic goals and having realistic expectations with those goals. And that most of the times the reason people fail in their resolutions is because they have unrealistic expectations at, on the front end of their resolution. So if, if to say like, hey, I want to lose 60 pounds this year, if you're 60 pounds overweight, maybe it'd be better to say, hey, I want to lose 10 pounds in six months, right? This is the type of thing psychologically, how we start attacking this type of stuff. And, and some of you are probably sitting there like, why is Kevin sharing all this? What does this have to do with anything? And I, I want to pose a challenge to us as a church this morning, and for those that are going to watch uh, the podcast later, um, a, a challenge to you guys as well. Uh, but I would have a, a resolution that I would like for us as a church to pursue and join with one another arm in arm heading into 2020. And it's simple, but I think it's pretty profound. And, I, and if we look at our text this morning, the one that Josh read for us earlier, uh, it, it shares with us what I think really is the number one thing that God wants of us. That when, it, when Jesus is, is there in the garden and he's praying to the Father, he shares the number one thing that I think he wants of us, his people. And so I'm gonna share with us this morning the, the goal or the, the resolution that I would like us to kind of look towards and pursue. And then I'm also gonna share with us, I think some practical steps with how God uh, can lead us to grow together with one another in 2020. So where we look back here in December of 2020, and we say, man, God really did something there. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and open it up to John chapter 17. Uh, that was the uh, verses that Josh read for us earlier. And I'm gonna read them again. And I want you to listen closely to what Jesus says here. It says, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Now, it's interesting, right? Because here, here I've picked a, a famous passage from the Gospel of John, 
really in, in many ways centered around Jesus' final moments on earth. This is his, his final prayer to the Father before he's arrested. But I think if you look closely at verse 3, let me read that again. I think verse 3 sums up a pretty big key idea that what God wants of us. Look at verse 3. And this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Right, so if I were to, to sit here this morning and say, hey guys, I have a, a big goal for us in 2020. Right? And I have tons of goals. I want to see us plant more churches. I want to see our influence grow and see more gospel-centered churches planted all throughout Columbia. I want to see more churches planted uh, here in Florida that are going to declare the excellencies of Jesus. I want to see more and more people come to know Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. But if you said, Kevin, you get one resolution, right? One thing that Aletheia Church is going to resolve to do in 2020, what would it be? It would be this that we would know God and Jesus Christ, whom he sent. Guys, if we get that right, I think the rest falls into place. And it seems simple enough, right? It seems simple enough just to say, hey, I wanna know God more in 2020. Right? I, wanna, I wanna know Jesus more in 2020. But so much is at stake, right? Think about that. I mean, Jesus says this, this is eternal life, right? And then he doesn't list 10 steps to following God. He doesn't list the process or procedure that we all must go through and follow to earn God's favor. He doesn't share with us a list of things that are gonna give us our best life here on earth and the best life afterwards. No, he says this, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Now, I want you to do me a favor. If you're a Christian here this morning, right, just pause and process through me, with me. And if you're not a Christian, you can still pause and process through me because this, this is still going to resonate with you, right? But if you are a Christian and you've been a Christian for any length of time, I want you to think about a time in your life when you felt really connected to God. And if you're not a Christian, maybe you've never felt that, but maybe you have at some point in time. And so just sit and process there with me for a second. A time in your life where you can remember back on when you felt really connected to God. You, maybe you felt his presence. Maybe you thought you could hear from him. Maybe you thought you uh, knew what he was wanting for your life. You were talking with him consistently. But when was that moment? For me, it was when I first became a new believer when I was in college, in between my sophomore and junior year at James Madison University. I had grown up going to church, but I didn't have any idea who Jesus was. And then God radically changed my life towards the end of my sophomore year and entering into my junior year of college just radically transformed what I cared about, uh, what I wanted to do with my life, where I was going, but most importantly, you radically transformed my view of who God was and who I was. And what's crazy is, as I was thinking about that this past week, as I was wrestling with this idea of knowing God and knowing Jesus more, I was like, when was the time where I felt like I knew Jesus the best? 
right? And, and, and in reality, right, the answer for all of us should be today, right? The answer should be, I know God more and more and more and more. And if I really like dug deep, I would probably say like, I know more about God. I know more about Jesus today than I did, you know, back in 2006. But the question is, do I know him deeply and intimately the way it seems that Jesus is asking that we would here in John chapter 17? And when I think back to those first couple of months of me being a new believer, I'm like, man, I don't know what was going on, but there was something profound going on deep within my soul during that time period. I mean, guys, I did not care about my classes. I did not care what was going on in my apartment. I was reading the Bible constantly on my own without really any real idea of what the heck I was even reading. It was fascinating. I always say the first book, who does this, by the way, the first book I ever read as a new Christian was 1 Samuel right? I'm the only person I've ever, I've ever talked to that as a new believer, the first book they read was 1 Samuel. People are always like, that's kind of a weird place to start. I was like, yeah, I don't really know why I did that. But I knew I didn't want to start in Genesis. So that's just where I went, right? So I read First and Second Samuel, and I still vividly remember things I've read in those two books because there was just this hunger, for God's word. Everything I read was like a new experience. Like the first time you taste new foods, I always love, like the first time we gave Gideon new food, first we gave him rice cereal and it was like, you know, he's just, Ugh. you know, cause it didn't have any taste. But when we started giving him things he would like, he would, we would have to teach him to actually chew cause he would try to practically inhale it, right? That was the way I was with God's word. I was so excited. I was praying all the time. I'd just be walking around the campus and I'd find myself walking past the, the room I was supposed to go to. I'd be like, how did I end up here? And then I realized, oh, I've been praying. I just wasn't paying attention to where I was walking. Now I do that, but with my cell phone. Right, I found myself meeting all of these new Christians and all these new people all the time. Right, I was making all these new friends who would eventually be family. I had so much excitement. And the reason was, is for the first time in my life, the God of the universe had made himself fully known to me and the depth of his love for me in Jesus Christ. I was mesmerized. I could not wait to learn more about him. It was kind of like, a fire had been started, and the moment that it started, someone poured an entire bucket of gasoline on it to get that fire going. And yet, if I'm honest, over time, in my quest to know more and to know God more, I've allowed myself to get comfortable, and I've become too familiar with him. And what once mesmerized me and put me in awe now just seems second nature oftentimes. I've allowed myself to move from a drive to know him more, and I've seen that drive often replaced with weariness, things like work, life, getting older, and kids have made me tired. And in that tiredness, instead of running to him, I've run to other things to medicate that tiredness. Entertainment, 
like sports, movies, television, video games, playing with my kids to distract me, sleeping. The list could go on and on, but all the while, a slow dying in affections for the Lord continues as I use other things to self-medicate instead of running to him. And I don't share my experience to lay guilt on myself or guilt on you, right? Because maybe you can relate with me this morning. Maybe you're sitting there this morning and you're like, hey, me too, me too. I remember when I first came to know the Lord and I remember the passion and the zeal that I had for him. And it doesn't always feel like that anymore. Maybe there's a glimpse of it here and there, but it doesn't always feel that way anymore. And maybe like me, as, as, you're, as you're thinking through this, you long to return to that sense of satisfaction that came from just knowing him. Longing for eternal things, the way that Jesus talks about there in John chapter 17. Because as, as, I, as I say this to us this morning, I'm preaching to myself just as much as I am to you. True satisfaction True rest, true joy comes only from knowing God. And I don't mean knowing about him, I mean knowing him. Right, like I use this example all the time, right? I knew who my wife Jackie was long before I knew her. I knew who she was, I knew that she loved the Lord, I knew that she was dating one of my friends. I win, you don't, Kyle, sorry. I knew what some of her likes, I knew what some of her dislikes were. I knew that she was really quiet unless you were playing a game of Settlers of Catan with her and then you would see the wild side of my wife Jackie come out. But it wasn't until we started dating and then in 10 plus years of marriage that I really got to know her. Know what makes her tick, know what makes her happy, know what brings joy, know what brings sorrow, know what can conjure up feelings of guilt, know what, knowing what can bring back feelings of sorrow. Because the longer I've known her and spent time with her and walked with her, the more I know her. And so what would it look like for us to continue the way that some of us might drive with our spouse or with a really great friend to know them better and to continue to know them? What would it look like for us to have that same drive with God so that we might find satisfaction in this life? And so, that, so let, let's start with this, right? I've got one resolution for us in 2020. Know God more. I don't mean knowing facts about him. I don't mean deepening your theology. Those things are great. No, I mean knowing him more deeply and his love and care for you in Christ Jesus. And I think there's three practical ways that I see in scripture, and I'm sure there's more than this. So if you come up with more, feel free to bring them up to me and we'll post them on the website or something. But three practical ways to pursue knowing God more in 2020. And here's the first one. I believe it starts with the gospel. Some of you guys are probably like, what the heck does that even mean? Right, so I, think it, I think it starts with this, right? Think about what Jesus says here in John 17. 
When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so that the son may glorify you. Jesus is saying all sorts of things there if you'll pay attention, right? He's saying, hey, all right, Father, the time has come. The whole reason you sent me here on earth, the whole reason that I emptied myself out into the form of a bondservant, taking on human flesh and becoming a man, the entire reason I came to earth, the, the hour has culminated, it is here, it's finally arrived. Glorify me so that I might glorify you. And look at what he says. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So when I say to know God more means that it starts with the gospel, I mean this. You cannot know who God is without knowing who you really are. And without knowing who you really are, you won't know your need for God. All right, Tim Keller is this famous Presbyterian pastor up in New York City, right? He has this famous line about the gospel, right? But it says, the gospel says this to you and I, that we are far more wicked than we ever imagined, but that we are far more loved by God and Jesus Christ than we ever dared imagine, right? And what he means by that is this, Right, God created you and I right, to know him, to love him, to intimately walk with him and to worship him. And if you're sitting there and you're like, how do, how do you know that, Kevin? It's because I've read Genesis 1 and 2, where God intimately right, walked with Adam and Eve in the garden and taught them and they knew him and they loved him. Right? And then we see in Genesis 3, this fracture of that relational harmony, or as our, our Jewish brothers and sisters would, would say, they would say shalom, which means peace. But it's a peace beyond like just world peace and no war. No, it's a deep peace and understanding and abiding and love that can only come from knowing why you even exist in the first place. Right? And that was fractured the moment that sin entered this world, right? And so you and I are born into this, right? We're born into this rebellious, confusing lack of shalom. We're born into it, right? And before you go off, you know, saying, man, it's all Adam and Eve's fault, you would have done the same thing. Right? The beautiful part of the gospel, though, is this. Right? As we see here in John 17, right? Jesus says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that, that the son may glorify you. Right? Here's what Jesus is saying. This shalom is fractured. This peace with God is no longer there. And the human race is running around trying to find their identity somewhere and they can't find it anywhere because they can only find it in me. Right? And as this, this shalom has been fractured, I'm going to send my son to restore that shalom. I'm going to send him to restore that peace. And with that peace is going to come eternal life. And eternal life only comes from knowing God and knowing Jesus Christ. If you want to know God, it doesn't start with a list of to-dos. It starts with a who to know. And it's knowing God and his son, Jesus Christ. We start by properly understanding that we are broken, but that God redeemed us. 
Right? God looked at us in our plight and our, and our lack of peace and our lack of identity and our rebellious nature towards him. And he said, I love them and I'm gonna send my son to die on their, in, their, in, my, in their place. And in that, I'm going to reconcile them to me and I'm gonna adopt them as sons and daughters and I'm gonna give them an identity. And so for example, Kevin is gonna be going from Kevin, an enemy of God, to Kevin, a child of God in Jesus Christ. That if you are here this morning and you are in Christ, your identity is one that went from enemy of God to adopted as a son or daughter of the Most High God. Talk about a good deal, right? If we want to know God more deeply and intimately, we need to start with the basics that we would know God more deeply because we know the gospel and we know the depth and the magnitude of God's love for us and sending his son to die for us. And if we know the magnitude of what Christ has done for us, we'll know the heart of God and we will know him more. Right? There's this study that I love to do with people that I, lead, that I lead a lot of people through called the Gospel Center Life Study. Some of you in this room have probably done it with us over the years. Some of you guys will eventually, if you hang around here any length of time, do that study because eventually I force you through it. Remember, one of the things I love about that study is this, is this line in the first chapter, and it says that many Christians believe that the gospel is the gateway into the Christian life meaning that we believe that Jesus died for our sins and that it's the gateway to start the Christian life. And it very much so is, right? There has to be a starting point. He says, but what they often miss is that the gospel needs to continue to be the fuel that, that, that just gives our affections the ability to, to be flamed for God. That the gospel continues to be the fuel that we run on to grow our affections and our love for him that as we continue to grow in knowledge of who God is in the depth of our own wickedness, the bridge to that gap is the gospel. The, the depth of God's love, because here's what I can tell you. If you've been a Christian for any length of time, you probably realize the sins that you thought were a huge deal when you first started believing in God aren't quite as big of a deal as you thought they were. Like, like for me, right, my sins of um, uh, drunkenness, and finding my identity in other people and relationships and needing approval and the, the idols of um, fornication and sexual sin, right? Those are all the things that were just like the big ticket items that when I looked at my life, I was like, man, I've got, I've got issues. And as God has weeded those issues out of my life over the years, I realized that those were just symptoms of a much deeper heart issue, which was a love and worship of self, and I'm way more messed up than I thought I was. I always tell this story so you guys can probably hear it for the 15th time. But one of the times that God was most gracious to me to help me realize how wicked I was was with my son Gideon, who was six weeks old at the time. Right? And, and Jackie had read all the parenting books and had learned that breastfeeding was the best way to feed a newborn. And so that's what she was doing. But I had also been told that you need to get a new mom out of the house every once in a while. So about like week six, I was like, Jackie, you got you to gotta go to women's Bible study. You got to get out of the house. I'll take care of Gideon, even though I didn't really know what I was doing. But how, you know, it was like three hours. How much could you screw up in three hours, right? I assure you, a lot. 
So, so Jackie has used the pump and she's got the breast milk out and she spends like 45 minutes explaining to me everything I need to do. And like, basically like, here's, here's what I've been told. He's going to sleep. You're going to feed him. And then he's going to sleep again. Unless in warming up the milk, you spill it all over the floor and there is none for the child. Some of the moms in here are like, right. Right. And so here I am, right? I'm like 30 minutes into this adventure and he starts screaming because he's hungry. And so it's like 10 minutes past. I'm like, dude, I I got nothing for you. Here, try some formula. Not having it. It's like, I want the real thing, dad. Ain't having this. 20 minutes in, screaming. 30 minutes in, screaming. 45 minutes in, screaming. An hour in, he's screaming. I'm like, at some point, dude, you've got to stop. Right? So like we're, we're like an hour into him screaming. And like, I'm like, I don't know what to do. So I go and put him in his crib. And like I walk back out. I'm trying to think what I'm doing. I'm texting Jackie. She's not texting back. I, I don't know what to do. Right? So finally, I walk back in. I pick him up. And I'm like trying to, to and then like he looks at me. And then he just starts screaming even louder in my ear. And I don't know about you guys, but a human being cracks at a certain point. And I cracked. By the way, if you've ever heard about someone shaking their baby or whatever else, I did not shake my kid, just so you know, but I get it, right? I took this child and I laid him in the crib and I looked at him and I just screamed, I don't have anything for you. Quit your crying. Just, I mean, yelled it at him and he stopped crying and he looked at me and then for the first time in his life, his lower lip went out and he screamed louder. And I sat there for a moment and I just thought, and and then like, it was like the Holy Spirit like brought out a baseball bat and was like, you just yelled at a six week old child for inconveniencing you. If, by the way, if somebody had come home to our apartment with what happened next, I would have maybe been committed for a couple days because I, I went to the other end of our apartment, shut our closet door and hid in the corner crying and praying like while rocking myself because I didn't know what to do at this point. Right? And it was in that moment I realized, man, I am, I am way more wicked than I thought I was. I just yelled at a six-week-old helpless infant for inconveniencing me and making my life more difficult. And yet, here's what I've learned on the back end of that. When Jesus Christ went to the cross, he died for that sin. Because I'm far more wicked than I dare imagine, but I'm far more loved in Christ than I ever dare dream. Right, that's the beauty of the gospel. That as we sit and we look and we, and we reflect on all of this, that God loves us more than we dare imagine. And you're going to have stories like that one day too. Like, I, like I, I know I can be a pretty bad person. That even shocked me. And yet God sent his only son to die anyway. And that's what we're reading about here in John 17. And so as we as a church say, okay, in 2020, I want to resolve to know God more. The first way I resolve to know God more is I know the gospel. That's it. 
you need to know the depth of God's love for you in Christ. Now, as you know the depth of God's love for you in Christ, you can start doing some things to try to fan the flames, to point your wayward heart back to that truth, right? One of them is this. You and I need to intentionally carve out time to be alone with God. Guys, nothing happens without intentionality. It doesn't. It just doesn't. Right? You and I live in an age of constant distractions, cell phones, social media. Here's the deal, though. Real relationships take work and time. And knowing God more takes work, which means being intentional. Now, I think there are two ways, like kind of maybe tools in a, in, a, in a toolbox that God has given us, right, that we can kind of use solitude and time alone with him, right, to help encourage us to know him more, right? One comes from Proverbs chapter six. Let me share that with you, right? In verse 20, this is Solomon's words to his son. Look at what he says. My son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching, Bind them on your heart always. Tie them around your neck. When you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. And when you awake, they will talk with you. For the commandment is a lamp, and the teaching is a light, and the reproofs of discipline are the way of life. Right, here's what Solomon is saying, is God's word for us is a lamp. The scriptures speak to our hearts. They give us knowledge of God. They tell us who we are clearly. But the Bible is God's special message to us on the depth of God's love for us and what he's doing to reconcile a wayward people to himself. Guys, God's word has a, a, a way of helping course correct wayward believers. God's word has a, a way of convicting us of our sin and leading us back to God and understanding his mercy and his grace. And, and hear me when I say this, because in John chapter five, verse 39, I love that John says this, he's, he's arguing uh, with the Pharisees, but look at what he says. He says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. Right, but look at what he says next. And it is they that, and it is they that bear witness about me. And look what he says in verse 40. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Right? This is something I, I think that we forget oftentimes in scripture. And this is why I said that the first thing, the first step in, in knowing God more is knowing who we are and knowing the gospel, right? Scripture reading is a discipline that the longer I've been in the church, I've been told I have to do a few things. I need to read my Bible every day and I need to pray, right? It's like, over and over again. And by the way, I'm getting ready to tell you that you need to read your Bible more and pray, right? But here is where it often, we, we miss the mark. We tell Christians and we tell one another to read the Bible. We don't tell them why. Guys, the, the Bible is God's words to us. It is, it is special. It is revelation. It is God revealing himself to us. But just reading it isn't, isn't what saves you, isn't what corrects you. It's what these words tell you about God and who you are that save you. 
right? Look at what Jesus says. You think that in them, you have eternal life. He's like, you think that Bible is what saves you. I am here to tell you that they bear witness about me and I'm the one who saves you. Right? God's word is his revelation to us, but we seek the Bible, not to seek the Bible, but to find Jesus. Consistent time in God's word inevitably leads to knowing God more. And in knowing him, you become more assured of who he is, what he's done for you, and trusting him. So as you intentionally carve out time to be alone with God, that time needs to be centered around learning about him and from him, from his word, but it also needs to be prayer and solitude. Let me share with you from Jeremiah chapter 33, what he says in verse three. Call to me, this is God speaking to Jeremiah, call to me and I will answer you and will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. Now let me give you a little bit of a backdrop to where Jeremiah is at this point in his life. He is in a pit, all alone, feeling like God has abandoned him. And as he cries out to God, this is God's answer to him. Call to me and I will answer you and will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. Church, God longs for you and for I to pour ourselves out to him in prayer. And he longs to answer those prayers with our needs. Now, let me, let me pause there because whenever I say something like that, I always start getting looks like, oh, God's gonna answer my prayer with what I need. He, I ain't talking about a new car. You might need a new car, but that's not what I'm talking about right? The deepest thing that you and I need is exactly what Jesus says we need in John 17, to know God and his son, Jesus Christ. And as we cry out to God in prayer, the hidden things that God reveals are who we really are and who he really is. Prayer has this weird ability, guys, to change us. And one of the primary reasons for that is I think by definition, if you are calling out to God in prayer, you are realizing a few things. That you need God to move and you can't do something on your own. Just, just by praying, there's a level of submission there that needs to happen in our lives in relation to God. And I have seen in my own life over the years that the more I pray, the more my desires change and the more that my heart changes, not, not because I've done some sort of like magical work to make those things happen, but if I start talking to God about wanting to follow him and his will and know what he desires of me and what he wants in the world, guess what I start caring about more? Him. I start caring about his desires and my desires tend to move to the backdrop. Because if we will commit to quieting our lives down a little bit and seeking the Lord in prayer and in his word and solitude, I promise you that we will know him better than we did before. 
So in that intentionality, in that desire to know God more and understanding the gospel more and being alone with God, I think there's one last thing that we can do to know God better in 2020. And that's to seek a higher degree of fellowship with our church family. Right now, this is the famous one, right? Oh, look, the pastor's telling me I I need to be more involved with church, right? You know, good one, right? Of course he's gonna say that, right? Of course the pastor's gonna say that I need to go to church more and be more involved at church. That makes sense. Let me just start by saying this. My, I don't get paid more and my life is not significantly better whether you show up or don't. But here's what God has called me to as a pastor. To shepherd the flock that I've been given. And that is Aletheia Church. And here's what I know about the Christian life. It can't be done alone. It's not designed that way. I know that most of us in here probably grew up in the United States, and if you grew up in the United States, whether you realize this or not, you have been impacted by the culture, and the culture tells you you can be self-sufficient and do things on your own and fight for your rights, right? All the things that the Bill of Rights tells us, all the things that our U.S. Constitution tells us, all the things that the Declaration of Independence tells us, right? All these things that we've been told that are kind of burned into our DNA and in our culture in the West— are centered around self-sufficiency, and I would go so far as to say self-actualization. God's word says the opposite, that you and I are designed, if we're gonna follow God and know him more, to need community, right? Look at Colossians chapter three with me. If you've got a Bible, turn over there, starting in verse 12. Look at what, look at what Paul says to the church of Colossae. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Right, Paul says, hey, here's here's what you need to do to grow in Christ. And look at how he starts. Put on then as God's chosen ones. He automatically tells them, you're already in Christ. This is already who you are. Act like your identity. Right, one of the things I consistently tell Gideon right, when, I, when I'm disciplining him, right, you are an Anderson. You are my son. You cannot change that, but because you are my son, here's how we act. You get to act this way because you're my son. You don't act this way to become my son. You are my son, and because you are my son, this is how we respond. This is what Paul is saying to the church. Because we are in Christ, holy, chosen, beloved, put these things on. 
You're part of the family. Act like the rest of the family. This is how our family acts. Act this way. But notice how if you look at the language there in Colossians chapter 3, I don't see anything that talks about just what I personally am supposed to do. He tells the church what they're supposed to do together. Right? We are designed to encourage one another, both in the solitude and outside of it, to teach and admonish one another with thankfulness, right? To encourage one another. Look at the, to, to admonish one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Guys, there is a reason why we do church service on Sunday morning the way that we do it. It's not just because our culture likes a few songs. God's word tells us to do these things together. God's, God's word tells us to admonish one another and study his word together and encourage one another that when we gather together, these are the types of things we're supposed to be doing together so we might give thanks to God the Father through Jesus Christ. That we might see a greater worship of Jesus. He says, do all these things and don't do them bitterly with discontent, but be thankful and worship together. If you want to know God more and you want to look back on your life at the end of 2020 and say, hey, I know God more intimately. I love him better. I know him more than I did entering into 2020. I love him more and I've seen a greater worship of him in my life and in the lives of others. You must be a committed part of the local church. That, That is not negotiable. Now, I would love for that to be Aletheia Church, right? I think we are on fire for God. I think we're working towards this together. I think we're on mission together. I think we're doing the very things that God calls for us to do in Colossians chapter three. But if you're here this morning, you're like, Aletheia ain't gonna be it. So be it. But please find a gospel-centered church that is going to make much of Jesus and is going to encourage you to do the same exact things that Paul encouraged the Colossians to do there in Colossians chapter three. We're doing it here. Lock arms with us and do it with us. But if not, find a church here in Gainesville. And I know there are others here. And I will give you recommendations to churches that will do that if you say, Aletheia can't be my church home. That's how important I think it is for you to live this out. Because I want you to come back to me in a year, whether you're at Aletheia or not, and say, I know God more in 2020 than I did in 2019. God made himself more known to me. He revealed himself to me. I love him more. Man, we serve a great God. Because we do. As we resolve to know God more, We will make much of Jesus, and in making much of Jesus, others will want to know him as well. And guys, we don't just seek to know God more just because it's a command or or whatever else. Here's the reality. God loves you deeply. He loves you so much that he gave his only son for you. He was crucified, dead, and buried, and rose again on the third day so that you might know him and be adopted into his family. Seek to know him because it is the whole reason why he came in the first place. 
when Jesus is in the garden praying, he is about to secure our fellowship with the Father. Our ability to commune with the God of the universe. What a gift. I want to share with you Paul's prayer for the church at Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 3. And I want to share this with you because it's a prayer I started praying about three years ago for this church. And one, I'll say this, God has been faithful. And two, I'm going to ask that you continue to pray this prayer with me, that God would do this in us. But let me, let me read this to you from Ephesians chapter 3. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. What a prayer. He doesn't ask God to help the church at Ephesus be better at their Bible reading plan. He doesn't ask them to be better at prayer walking or serving or even coming to church. Those things are a mean to an end, but they are not the end. No, he prays for this, that God would grant you and I and our brothers and sisters in Christ all over the world through the power of the Holy Spirit that Jesus Christ would dwell in our hearts. That's relational, guys. It's not, it's not theological. I mean, it is, but it's not, it's not knowledge. It's not meant to be some sort of secret thing that we know. That gonna, no, he, that God's spirit dwells in us because God longs to commune with us. And that being rooted and grounded in love, we may be able to comprehend with all the saints. And I was just teaching my son this the other day. Right, my son Gideon, who was just baptized a few weeks ago, right? He 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 read something and he 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 said that it was called the saints. He's like, Dad, what's a saint? And I was like, You are, buddy. Right? If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, the Bible says that you are a saint. Of course, I love Gideon. You mean like the New Orleans Saints? <laughs> no, nah, dude, not the football team. They're good, but we ain't we ain't talking about that. Now I'm talking about people that love Jesus and know God. that we might be able as brothers and sisters, part of God's family, to comprehend the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge and that we might be filled up to all the fullness of God. That's why I want to resolve to know God better in 2020. 
That's why I want us as a church to resolve to know God better in 2020, to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge. I love what Paul says there, right? It's granted to us and it's something that we seek after. Confusing, I know, right? How can something be granted to me and how can I seek after it? Welcome to knowing God. You seek after him and he grants it to you. Guys, I promise you, if we resolve to know God, God will show up. And we will sing of his glory because we know him. Let's make that our resolution for this year. Let's resolve to know the love of Christ more in 2020 than we ever have before. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, you can resolve to know God more in 2020 by giving your life to Jesus today. God makes it super simple, right? Paul says that everywhere he went in, the, in starting new churches that he did two things. He taught people repentance towards God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is, this is just what God asks of us. You can know Jesus as your Lord and Savior and be invited and adopted into God's family by simply repenting of your sin, saying, God, I'm sorry for what I've done wrong and I desire to change. Please forgive me. And trusting that Jesus came, lived, and died in your place to pay the penalty for your sin. And that he rose again the third day to offer you new life in, in God. That's it, right? Repentance and faith. And today can be the day you can say, and your story's gonna be great because you're gonna be like, hey, I entered into 2020 not knowing God and now I do. Right? Maybe you're here this morning and you've been a Christian for years and years and you're like, I'm doing pretty good. Then resolve to continue and strengthen that resolve even more this year. And maybe you're here this morning and, and you're like, I'm wondering. I'm wondering, I'm struggling. I don't know where I'm at. Here's the beauty of being a follower of Jesus. It never changes. And here's what I mean by that. It never changes what God asks of us. Repent. Repent of your wandering. If there's anything in there that's sinful, that's drawing your affections or your attention away from God, repent of it. And here's what I know about him. He is faithful to forgive. I don't, I don't care what you've done. I don't care what you've been doing. God is faithful to forgive. Repent and start following him. Know the love of God in Christ Jesus. And let's start 2020 with a resolution to know God more and make much of Jesus together. Will you bow your head and pray for me and for us? God, thank you for your word. Thank you that we can see here in John chapter 17 the depth of your love for us in Christ Jesus. God, we ask that you would reveal to us the height and the length and the width and the depth of your love for us in Christ Jesus. And we want to know you more this next year. Father, forgive us of our sin. Forgive us from turning to idols. 
help us and strengthen us to trust you more as we enter this year. We love you. Thank you that you are faithful to forgive, and I ask this all in Jesus' name.